What's up, people? We recently had a conference, Most Excellent Way to Lead, and this is my opening talk from that conference. We hope it blesses you this month, and we believe the best is yet to come. That was cool. Everybody, everybody doing good today? Everybody feeling good? How many of you, I'm just curious, this is your first trip to um, Anderson, South Carolina? That's awesome. I know in my heart that it's been on your bucket list for years to come to Anderson. And now you've lived, really. We could, Jesus could just come take us back now and it'd be awesome because Anderson, I don't really know what we're famous for, but we're famous for something. Actually, how many of you saw the movie Radio? Yeah. The high school uh, where that movie takes place is right down the street. That's, there we go. T.O. Hannah, right? T.O. Hannah. Hey, um, I'm super excited that you're here. Um, this is a leadership conference. And let me tell you the reason I put together this leadership conference. Honestly, um, uh, people came to me and said, we need to do a leadership conference. And I said, well, um, who are the people I want to learn from? So I made a list of the people I wanted to learn from. I called them. They could all come on this day. Um, and then they said, you should speak. And I said, well, okay, so I'm going first. And the reason I always go first is I ain't following any of these people. Um, <laughs> I'm the opening act. Nobody remembers the opening act. I'm going to get out of the way, and I'm just going to kind of set up the day. So let me pray, and then we're going to dive right in. Jesus, thank you so much um, for every single leader here, uh, church and non-church world, uh, from all over the world. And Father, over, the, over, over these next few hours together, I just pray that you would shape us into better leaders. Um, we know that leadership matters to you, and we pray that it would matter to us. And we ask this in your name. Amen. I, uh, I got my first official leadership position um, in 1991. I sat by the phone because we didn't have car phones. We didn't, have a, we didn't even have pagers at the time. This was pre-pager. I sat by the phone and waited on the committee from the church to call me, and they called me and told me that I'd gotten a job, and I was going to go to a little town called Pickens, South Carolina. We got some people from Pickens here, don't we? Is the Mill Church here? Where are you guys? Yep, Okay. <laughs> That means half of Pickens is vacated right now because Brian Holder is, is down with his church. But anyway, um, that, it's a small town. It's a small town. Uh, let, let's just put it this way. The family trees don't branch very much. If you're, if you're from Kentucky, you understand. So this was a church, and I was going to, it's my first job. And I was the part-time youth pastor. Now, the week before I got there, you got, I'd been a Christian less than a year. The week before I got there, the senior pastor and the choir director had split the church and left. And so I didn't know what I was walking into. So my first Sunday there, I've been a Christian less than a year. I'm the only person on staff. And I thought, I'm the leader. These people are going to do what I say because I'm the leader. And you know what? They didn't do what I said. I would have great ideas. I would see things that were broken going, why don't we fix that? And they would be like, why don't you shut up? And, I, and, I, and we're, it, was, it was bizarre. And, and so about halfway through that process, they hired a leader that hated my guts. Um, and that was fine because I didn't care for his guts very much either. But I had to learn. I know, I know, do you know what it's like to work for someone that you don't like? Don't point. Don't, don't point at people. I'm just saying, you know what that's like? And so I remember one time he's yelling at me, like yelling, like physically yelling. And I'm not trying to figure out, do I yell back? I'm trying to figure out, do I break his neck in one spot or two? I, I, because I I'm, I'm just don't handle that. And so I had to learn how to navigate that. 
And then I left that church and went to another church, um, and it was awesome. And, 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 and I was like, I've got two years of experience. I'm going to be the leader. And I stepped into that church as the leader, and nothing happened for a year. Nothing. I couldn't even get the Holy Spirit to show up. Like I said, when it said, when two or more gathered together, and I'm like, I don't know, because it's just us. And I, I felt like God wasn't doing anything. I felt like nothing was working. But I, I felt this need to keep going and keep pushing through, even though I was coming up against some resistance. So, now I'm from Southern Baptist world. If you're not from Baptist world, that's fine. You'll at least understand this. Um, in 1995, a lot of the Baptist friends that I hung out with, they talked real negatively about this one guy named Bill Hybels, about how he watered down the gospel. And they talked negatively about him. And so I was like, well, if they're talking negatively about him, I need to go see him. <laughs> because the Baptist definition of progress is moving backwards slowly. So I... I need, to, I need to go see him. And, and he was at a conference, and there was this other guy I'd never heard of named John Maxwell, who talk about leadership. Every time he farts, a bestseller hits the thing. <laughs> and so I sat at this conference, and they talked about the spiritual gifts, something else. We, all, we didn't talk about spiritual gifts in the Baptist church either. That was like crazy Uncle Eddie. He shows up at Christmas, and you hope he stays sober, right? For, so we didn't talk about that. But they talked about the spiritual gift of leadership. And I'd never heard I, what they called leadership um, growing up, everybody had called troublemaking. That, that, that's how they, it had been defined. But I began to understand that leadership was a spiritual gift. And so I began to study more and more leaders and trying to learn. I would go anywhere and learn from anybody. I didn't care if they were business leader. I didn't care if they were church leader. I didn't care what denomination they were in. If they loved Jesus, you know, you, you know screw it. Even if they don't love Jesus, if they're having some effective leadership thing, I want to go learn from them. So I'm telling you, I mean, I, I've, I've been to Disney. I would recommend a Disney cruise for everybody in this room just to learn leadership. It's all about trying to learn leadership. So, by, so in 2000 or in 1999, we started this church. We started this church with 15 people in a living room, 1999. And uh, people always ask me, did you have this in mind? N no. No, nobody, we had dial-up internet. You can't do this with dial-up internet. Because if somebody called, it would knock the line off, and then we lose all of our other campuses, right? But y'all got that. You got to see it took some time. Okay. So y'all want a 14-4 modem this morning, so we'll get there. I, uh, they tell church planters, and if you're a church planter, they tell you that you will lose your core group, the people that started the church with you, you lose half of that core group, within the first three years. But I'm an overachiever. I did it in three months. <laughs> I mean, our church plant, we were off, and it was like, we're doing a church. You're leaving, you're leaving, you're leaving, you're leaving like half the, and so some people stayed and some people left. And so I was sitting around one day just thinking about, okay, my first church, eventually I saw a breakthrough. Second church eventually saw a breakthrough. With New Spring Church, like some people left it. What, like, God, what is it about leadership? Because I don't think it's a charismatic style. And I don't think it's, um, I don't think we all need to become like a rear end like Steve Jobs and yell at people forever, right? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think that's it. 
So one day I was reading through the book of 1 Corinthians. And if you're here and you're a Bible person, uh, you'll get this. If you're not a Bible person, like if you're from the business world, um, you're not from church world, I want to go ahead and tell you that everything that you're going to hear on this stage today will work in your business. Because all truth is God's truth. And so, so it, it will work. And if you're not a Bible person, and you're like, well, I don't believe the Bible. Well, you know what? I don't believe Harry Potter. But I, I leaned in enough to watch the movie, all right? So, so glad you're here today. I was reading 1 Corinthians, and um, 1 Corinthians is a great reminder. You know, because as pastors, we, we make up stuff that's not true. Wish we could go back to the old-timey church in the Bible where it was solid. Really? That Paul planted crappy churches. Right? No, 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 that's sacrilegious. That's sacrilegious. You can't say that. Well... If you have to write a letter that eventually becomes scripture that says, you need to tell a man in your church he can't have sex with his mother-in-law. <laughs> like, has anybody had to have that business meeting in the past week or two? <laughs> nope. And the whole stop getting drunk in the Lord's Supper? Like, really, do we have, that? that's the Corinthian church, hello! And so as, as I read through 1 Corinthians, I'm like, hey, we're not that bad. And then I get to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is all about leadership and spiritual gifts and finding your place in the body of Christ, and it's awesome, right? And then 1 Corinthians 14 is about leadership and speaking in tongues and the, and the trumpet sounding a clear call, right? It's like, I've never understood 1 Corinthians 13, ever. Like, why did it get there? It's almost like Paul was writing about leadership and he paused and he just said, you know what? Evangelicals are going to get married one day and they're going to need some verses. I'm going to hook them up. And he wrote 1 Corinthians 13 and then he said, okay, now back to leadership. And he went on to 1 Corinthians 14. So I was, reading, I was reading through this one day, and it hit me. Paul said, Paul said this, and this is where the name of the book comes from, the most excellent way to lead. It's not because I saw Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which, by the way, if you did, did that not just screw up Keanu Reeves for the rest of your life? You cannot view him seriously in any movie. Paul said, and now I will show you the most excellent way. Now, he's been talking about leadership in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I think, I think Paul, is step, he's not stepping into husband and wife relationship because he hadn't said anything about it in the previous several chapters. I think what Paul's getting ready to, to describe is the most excellent way to lead. And he says this, if I speak in tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Paul's talking about this love thing. And Paul said, that's the most excellent way to lead. And then he gets to the passage that we quote in our wedding ceremonies. And I'm not saying if we need to take them out of our wedding ceremonies. This is a good passage right here. But then he says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. It is not proud. And I paused on this day. I never will forget this. And I said, what if, what if everywhere you saw the word love, you put in the word leadership? Leadership is patient. How many of you would love to work for a patient leader? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if it's four, we're honest. The rest of y'all, yeah. I, 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 wanna, I wanna be known as a patient leader. I wanna work for a patient leader. Leadership is kind. 
Now, now some people go, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a, a no, you're, you're a jackass is what you are. You, you got you to get that out of your life, right? You can be kind to people, right? You don't have to plow over people. I just plow over people. Well, that's why nobody likes working for you, right? Kind. It does not envy. It does not, it goes on to say a lot of things. It says, it does not dishonor others. Leadership does not dishonor others. Leadership is not self-seeking. Leadership is not easily angered. And this was pre-Twitter, right? Leadership keeps no record of wrongs. Leadership does not delight in evil, but leadership rejoices with the truth. Leadership always protects. Leadership always trusts. Leadership always hopes. Leadership always perseveres, and that kind of leadership will never fail. So that is why I called it the most excellent way. I didn't say, my book's better than everybody. Paul said, I will show you the most excellent way. And in the book, and in, for the rest of the day, we're going to talk about the, the most excellent way to lead. Um, with this in mind, with this in mind, I want to share with you very quickly four false ideas because of this book. As I sat down, and I was really thinking about it, praying about it over the past several weeks. Four false ideas that are in direct contrast with the way I'm talking about leading people, loving people, leading people through love. Leading people through love does not sound very leadership-esque, but it will get the best results. Here we go. Here's myth number one. Myth number one. I cannot be close to the people I lead. I cannot be close to the people I lead. Myth number one. I cannot be close to the people I lead. Now, we all have different preferences in this room, okay? Uh, uh, some people prefer the beach. Some people prefer the mountains. How many are beach people? Yeah, me too. How many are mountain people? How many are whatever the in-laws are paying for people? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah there, good, gotcha. Some people enjoy a steak cooked rare to medium rare, like Jesus would have it. And others would prefer to have it well done, like it's been in hell for a really long time. <laughs> How many medium rare, rare people do we have? How many well done people? Yeah, get a pork chop. I mean, seriously, it would save you some money. We have people in here with all kinds of, we have people that love to fish, fishing, hunting, minus the deer camera. Can I, let me stop talking to y'all for a second about the deer camera. I've talked to my church about this. I've gotten more feedback about this than anything we've ever done at New Spring. If you hunt with a deer camera, you are not a true hunter. You're not. You're not. You're not. You, if you're a true hunter, strip naked, walk into the woods with a knife, and come out with something dead that's not you. That's a hunter. But the ancient cavemen did not have their iPhone out looking, hey, I got the T-Rex right here, look at it, I think we can get him. <laughs> See, personal preference, once again. You, do you know how many, do you, after I say that, do you know how many deer pictures I'm gonna get on Twitter today? How many deer pictures, and I don't, I don't care. How, camp, camping, anybody love to camp? Yeah, I don't, yeah, make that, CSU. I don't want to go pretend I'm homeless because I make money and I love to live inside, but if you want to pretend to be homeless, you can. That's awesome, I think you should. Hey, kids, this is what it's like to be homeless. <laughs> we all have different 
preferences, we have different personalities, we have different ideas, but there's one thing, one thing that every single leader in the world has in common, and it's that we all deal with this thing called insecurity. See, I'm not going to ask insecure people to raise their hand because you wouldn't, right? You might have that underarm sweat going right there already, and you're like, I just don't want to raise my hand. All of us deal with insecurity, and I think the reason a lot of people, a lot of leaders say you can't let people get close to you has nothing to do with their leadership ability, has everything to do with their insecurity because maybe they're scared if somebody gets close to me, they might find out who I really am. But if they find out who you really are, then maybe they'll follow you because of the person you are and not the position you hold. Because position leadership can only be influential for so long. Let me tell you something about insecurity that I've discovered. Insecurity equals instability. If you have an unstable organization, it's because it's full of insecure people. And then the the second part of that is that instability equals inability. You just can't move forward. And it has nothing to do with, um, hey, let's be honest. It has nothing to do with church. With, with, it has nothing to do with the power of God. It has nothing to do with the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. If you're in the business world, well, the economy, well, I want to push the pause button and say a lot of businesses are thriving in this economy. Could it be, could it be, could it be that this right here is holding a lot of organizations back? Has nothing to do with corporate structure or governance. It has everything to do with insecure leaders who are afraid to be known. I love the team I work with. I hang out with them. Now, I don't like Michael, one of the guys on the team, he loves to camp. So I'm never going to go camp with Michael. But if Michael wants me to come over to his house and have dinner, I'm in. Brad Cooper, you'll hear from him in a little while. I love Brad, but Brad um, hunts with a deer camera. So we're working out that heresy in his life, (laughs) sanctification going on there, but I'm never going hunting. I'm never going deer hunting with Brad. Brad and his family, they do the the bear hunts where they're crawling through the briars and the brambles and stuff. For for me, roughing it's going from a five-star to a four-star. That's about as tough as I want to get. But you know what? If Brad wants to go eat, have a meal. I love hanging out with these guys. I love having them to my house. They love having me to their house. At the end of the day, I don't really hide anything from them. They don't really hide anything from me. I really do love them. And what it's done is it set the room up for conversations that can be had because they're not scared to walk in and say something that might make me mad and my insecurity flares up and I fire them. I was, I, I did this talk recently talking about getting to know your people. I think if we're going to be I, I think if we're going to be the most excellent leaders, then we've got to be students of the people we lead. Students. We want well, no, they should know about me. No, 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 no. They know about you. They talk about you. They tweet about you. Subtweet about you. But but like they need to get to know you and you need to get to know them. So recently, I was at a retreat with some of our key leaders, about 40 key leaders, and I did this talk called um, Five of My Biggest Pain Points in Ministry. And I just shared, I mean, I shared with that group of people, I shared um, the five most gut-wrenching, painful experiences of my life with them in ministry. And then I said this, there are 40 of them in the room. I said, here's what I want you guys to do. I want for you, sometime this week, to email me back you're one. I said, don't send, don't send me five uh, because that, I, I, I would get too depressed. 
send me your one most painful point in ministry. And I read every email at least twice. Some of them I read three times. And it helped me understand, oh my gosh, this person's dealt with this. I I didn't know this. I didn't know this. And I didn't know this. And I didn't know this. And it helped me to become a better student of of the people that I'm leading. You know what? You can do that. That's that's as simple as, hey, this is my, oh, by the way, you got to go first. Sit down. What's your most painful point in ministry? This meeting? Uh, Like, that's going to happen. Like, you got to model that. But the whole, and I've had people push back on this. You can't be close. You can't be close to the people you lead. You can't be close to the people you lead. You can't be close to the people you lead. Well, man, Jesus screwed it up then, didn't he? That Jesus being close to people. Well, you know, people will betray you. Well, yeah, he knows. But you know what? He didn't sit in the empty tomb and cry about it for 17 years. He walked out of the tomb. He's not in there going, oh, Judas. Judas hurt me. Yes, Judas hurts you, but you know what? He's like, Judas hurt me now. We're going to go change the world. Jesus, watch what Jesus does in John chapter 13. Um, it says it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus was pretty close to the people he led. Oh, and it says in verse 2, the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Jesus knew. In other words, Jesus was a secure leader. And that he had come from God, and he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And he washed the disciples' feet. He was close to these men. He called them brothers. And this was the group of people that went and changed the world. Now, I don't know where you are on the Jesus card, but I'm telling you, I think he's the best leader that's ever lived. Never wrote a book, never ran for office, never led an army. In 2,000 years, everybody in this room, our birthdays are defined by him. There are cities named after him. There are people named after his followers. I'm telling you, and he modeled what it's like to lead people, to be transparent with people, to know people. I mean, they got to see him sweat in the garden, and they still followed him. If you are a leader worth character, when people see who you really are, they will want to follow you anyway. And, and listen, don't be afraid to let them see how screwed up you are. That's the reason most of my staff stays here. I mean, if Jesus can use that jacked up clown, he can use anybody. All right? Here's myth number, myth number two. Myth number two is develop your weaknesses. You need to be well-rounded. This is what schools teach kids. Kids can home, come home with like one A and four Fs. And we'll freak about, out about the Fs. I'm like, man, what about that A? That a is good. I had a, I had a, I'm still bitter about this. That elementary school teacher who didn't like my handwriting. And she would stick me over in the corner doing hang, handwriting exercises. And I'm like, I need to be doing math because I'm pretty good at math. And, and, and you know, no, you need, to, you need to become well-rounded. Develop your weaknesses. So I got a picture here. How many baseball fans? Baseball fans? Yeah, good gosh, they, they play baseball way too freaking long. But this is Clayton Kershaw. I've been calling him Sammy Kershaw all week, and I know it's not Sammy. This is Clayton Kershaw. He's a pitcher for the L.A. Dodgers. Any Dodgers fans? Yeah, I, you weren't that enthusiastic, though, so I don't think you're real. Um, Clayton Kershaw, th- this is his stats from last year. 301 strikeouts. That's, 
That's all. Now, I'm a little bitter because I played baseball one year and never hit the ball in a game. Never. I could not make contact. I, I swear. So baseball's never been my thing. But I know 301 strikeouts is awesome. A 2.13 ERA. But his batting average, y'all, his batting average was a 127. So what if the Dodgers coach came and said, Clayton, Clayton, super glad about all those strikeouts, man. That ERA, looking good. Um, real concerned about your batting. So I need you to stop focusing on pitching and learn how to be a better batter because I want to coach a team of well-rounded players. Well, that dude's going to get fired. You know what? Give him, give him a cigarette and let him smoke through the whole batting pr- I don't. I don't care. I don't care what he does, right? Tell him to go up there and sing a song, blindfolded. I don't care. You know what I care about? I care about the 301 strikeouts and the 2.13 ERA. And the reason in the church that we don't buy into this is because this is the myth we've told ourselves. If you want it done right, you got to do it only if you're a bad leader. If you want it done right, you got to do it yourself only if you're a bad leader. Only if you don't give trust away. Only if you don't delegate authority and responsibilities. So, so for example, we started the church, and people, most people don't know this, but I got fired from a job in this church six months in. Uh, I used to be on the worship team. Not a joke. So it wasn't a joke. That wasn't funny at all. I can lead Pharaoh, Pharaoh better than anybody in this room. Anybody. Y'all remember that? Yeah, well, um, our worship leader had some issues, and so I had to take over worship leading right when the church started. So I'm on stage, and I'm got my little guitar, and uh, we're doing Romans 16, 19, yeah. And I couldn't figure out why adults wouldn't take our church seriously, because I'm out there going, everybody do this, do this. No, you in the back, do this. I know you're a senior adult, but do this. I mean, you haven't done that in a long time, so if I know, just do that. Come on. And I hired um, Lee McDermott. Now, Lee was the guy that led the, the hymn that we, we sang. He's the guy with the hat on, he, that guy. And um, I told Lee, I said, Lee, um, whenever you need me to step out of the band um, for it to go to the next level, um, you just let me know. And he said, okay. Two months later, he said, hey, man, you remember that conversation we had about you stepping out of the band? I was like, yeah. He goes, this time. <laughs> and I, I didn't take it very well. Because I was like, well, I, just, I think maybe I could work a little bit harder on my guitar playing. I, I still can't hit F, but I mean, I can try. I mean, I can fake that chord or whatever. And Lee just told me, he said, you don't need to play guitar. You need to preach. You need to lead. And I can handle all this. And I was, um, so Lee fired me from the band. But it, you know what? It worked. I don't worry about the band anymore. Lee's got it. So when it, comes, when it comes to delegating, when people go, well, Perry, I don't know about, who do I look for? It's very simple. Here at New Spring Church, I look for talented, hardworking people. You need both. Talented, hardworking people. I don't, I won't, I, now, I'll take hard work over talent any day. Because hard work beats talent when talent does not work hard. Okay? But the, you can find both. You can find talented. Okay, some people will, talent doesn't matter. Okay, you remember the Chicago, the last year, the, the, Chicago Bulls had Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman. They won, the, they won the NBA championship. The next year, they won 13 games. Now, I'm sure they had some great guys that loved basketball, but they had no talent. Therefore, they could not win. So talented, 
hardworking people. And listen, when I say talented, hardworking people, I'll just go ahead and open up this, or open up this can of worms. Um, I'm not looking for the person with the most degrees behind their name. Because the person with the most degrees by, behind their name probably means they haven't had a conversation with a real person in years. Can we be real? No, I'm serious. I, I had somebody tell me this years ago, and it just makes so sense. When it comes to the church, we stopped looking at anointing years ago and started looking for pedigree. And I think if we want to see God begin to move in our churches again, we need to stop looking at pedigree and start looking at anointing because I will take the 17-year-old anointed worship leader over the 30-year-old worship leader that's got 17 music degrees every single time. So when we go out and we find talented, hardworking people and we let them run with it, I'm telling you we can see results. We can. Which leads to myth number three. Myth number three is this. If I pray, it'll go away. (laughs) Everybody's done this one. You ever had to fire somebody and you didn't want to fire so you just started praying that they would quit don't i mean don't raise your hand don't admit to that i was laying in bed one night with my wife lucretia she's white everybody always ask so i just i just let y'all know everybody all, how many of you the first time you heard my wife's name thought hmm come on yeah that's why i did it about two o'clock in the morning, and I'm a get up in the middle of the night person. I don't think I've slept a complete night in my life. And so I got up, you know, I wake, kind of wake up at two o'clock, and all of a sudden I hear, Chirp! you know what I'm talking about? Battery and smoke detector. So I prayed. <laughs> I did. I'm not making this up. I was like, dear God, you split the Red Sea. You shut the mouth of the lion, God. If you shut the mouth of a lion, you can shut the beep of a smoke detector. I'm believing that in Jesus' name. Beep. I'm like, dang it. You know, if it wakes up Lucretia and it wakes up her girl, and I I don't know. So then then you got to go, and I don't know how it is. I don't know if there's an app where you can do this, but you got to go walk around your house and kind of listen for it to be beep. Okay. And then you got to stand and look at it, and and bam, oh yeah, that's it. And then you kind of then you got to find the freaking batteries at two thirty in the morning. And so you get, you get that done, and I just remember thinking about that experience, going, oh my gosh, I, if I would have laid in bed and said, if I pray, it'll go away. But leaders that love people, and leaders that love their cause, love it too much and love them too much to allow prayer to become an excuse for inactivity. Um, I can, one of the things holding the church back, I'm just going to say church world, because we, we're, we're plagued with chronic niceness, is the unwillingness to have a tough conversation with someone. Do you know how tough that is? Because I'm going to be very, very honest with y'all. I don't like having tough conversations. And, and I don't think the model that, that has been taught in leadership circles for years I don't know who came up with this. I didn't research it because I didn't want to call anybody's name out. But here's the model. Listen to me. That does not work. Okay? You ready? Here you go. You bring the person in. You sit them down. You give them a compliment. Then you give them a critique. And then you give them a compliment. And you send them out of the room. Let me tell you what happened. They don't know why they were in the room. Why'd you meet? Why did y'all meet? Well, I think he loves me. 
told me I'm doing a great job. Now, you know what that's like? How many of you love pretzel bread? Pretzel bread, butter pretzel bread. Anybody pretzel bread? Come on, pretzel bread, pretzel bread. I love a good piece of buttered pretzel bread. But if, but if you take a piece of pretzel bread here, and you take a piece of pretzel bread here, but you put a turd, <laughs> you'll never forget this illustration. <laughs> you put a turd on the pretzel bread, all of a sudden you have a crap sandwich. <laughs> Nobody wants to eat crap sandwiches. But you know what we've been teaching in leadership circles for years? Feed your people crap sandwiches. Come here, you're awesome, give me a hug. You need to quit this or you're gonna get fired. But you're awesome, give me a hug, leave. And they, you just gave them a crap sandwich. And then we wonder why people don't actually go out and do what they were hired to do. It's very simple, it's not their fault, it's our fault because we're, we've been unwilling to have the tough conversation. At the end of the day, as a leader, it's our job to love who people are becoming more than what they're doing. Because if they're becoming the right person, they will do the right thing. So we just can't sit around and pray difficult situations away. I shared this statement with our staff. Um, we were talking about being a farmer. A farmer that simply walks out in the middle of a field and prays for rain, but will not plow will not perspire, we will not plant. We would call that an irresponsible farmer, but for some reason in church world, we call that a mature leader. They are a prayer warrior. I'm not discounting prayer. Pray all the time. Praying right now. God help me, right? But I shared this with our staff. We absolutely pray, but we also plant, plow, and perspire in order to see the vision become reality. I'm all about prayer. I believe in the power of prayer. I love prayer, but prayer has been an excuse for inactivity in the church world for too long. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if we love people and we love them well, then we're able to step into the tough conversations. And you know what I've discovered? Even when you have to have that tough conversation with someone that you really love, if they know you love them, then they will allow you to have that conversation with them. It's never easy. It's never easy. But when two people love each other and that respect is there, I'm telling you, it allows major leadership decisions to get made. Which leads to myth number four. This is myth number four. Our best days are behind us. Now, I'm talking to church people right here. So if you're in a business world, I mean, I don't know, depending on your business, that might be true. Like if, I don't know what you sell, but, but church world, God, I shared this with my church recently. Um, I was going through a significant period of stress and anxiety not too long ago, like significant. And um, I did one thing and it stopped it. I stopped watching Fox News. And um, no, don't, don't get, don't, oh, all the liberals don't need to get happy. I stopped watching CNN too. I wasn't feeling the burn. Um, I, 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 just stopped, I just stopped watching news shows in general. And my anxiety level, man, I was like, a flower child. Like, I'm hugging people, and it's the best day ever. Um, and, and the past week or two, I hadn't been able to sleep, and I didn't put my finger on it this morning. I got sucked back into all this political stuff. And Donald Trump saying Rubio's got little hands and, and spray tans and all this other stuff. I'm like, what you? oh, you two are wanting to be the leader of our country. I mean, I did that in middle school. Anyway, so I, I, so I got sucked back into it, so anxiety's welling up a little bit. But one of the things in church world, one of the things in church world, and I've seen this, and I've seen this now for a year, and I'm, I'm pretty pissed off about it. All the reports out going, people are leaving the church. 
people are leaving the church. There's not as many church people in the world. People are leaving the church. And I'm going, what a freaking opportunity! That means there's more people for us to go reach. So if they're leaving the church, let's give them a reason not to leave the church because I still believe in our product. I had a friend of mine, he recently, he, um, he called me up and he said, I got a car this weekend, you want to drive it? I said, what is it? He said, it's a Camaro, it's red, it's got 600 horsepower. I said, absolutely, I want to drive it. Um, then I had to have, a, my, my daughter's a rule follower, so I talked to her about, sometimes it's okay to break the speed limit. Um, we had that, it was a great, it's a great kind of discipleship conversation. Um, <laughs> baby, it's really the speed suggestion. <laughs> And so I remember I was in the parking lot with him and he looked at me and he looked at me and he said, Perry, he said, this thing was built for driving hard. I said, okay. And he looked at me and said, you don't understand. I want you to do donuts. I want you to pop the clutch. He said, I want you to spin it out. I want you to, I want you to drive it hard because it was built for driving hard. And I was very happy to obligate him. I had kids riding in the car, some of Karis' friends. We went into a neighborhood, some of her friends jumping in the car. I was like, I don't even know who this is, but buckle up, you know, boom. And I'm, we, we had an awesome time. But I think about that, and, I, and he, I, he brought the car. I took the car back to him. I drove it hard. I think we've got a heavenly father that would look at us, and he's handing us the keys to this thing called the church. And he would say, it's built for driving hard. We don't walk around with our heads down because of a political election or because of the state of the economy or because somebody said something on some new show. The tomb is alive. Jesus is Lord. This is the thing that, this is the thing that blew my mind, and I'll close with this. The last time I was in Israel, last time I was in Israel, um, there's two spots that they argue whether or not Jesus rose from the grave. There's the, um, the garden tomb. And then there's the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. There's two locations that he could have risen from. And so, and there's pretty, you know, it gets pretty heated debate. And so um, some people say it's the garden tomb. Some say it's the sepulcher. Some say garden tomb. Some say sepulcher. It hit me when I was over there um, a couple trips ago. Oh, my gosh. Nobody's arguing that he rose. He's so alive, he emptied two graves. Let's just, let's just say that. So if Jesus is that alive... And we've got this much potential because, listen, God gave us technology. I don't think God gave us technology so we could view porn quicker. I think he gave us technology so we could reach the world. And if the promise is made to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, if his power is at work within us, and we're letting him develop us into the leaders we need to be, then the potential of the church is unlimited, and we have not even began to see what God wants to do.